0: We are continuing our eight-part series called Created in God's Image to Reign. I saw uh, a couple of people had picked up the book, which is awesome. So glad that you are doing furthering study, that you're going on your own. Don't all just take it from me, but read it, enjoy it, love it. We're basing it on the book by Jeff Newborn, and uh, I hope that you are enjoying it. So uh, last week, we talked about conquering through faith and prayer. That's how we as believers, that's how we get business done, right? We, that's how, the, how we fight our battles is on our knees. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about reigning over money. And uh, that is like, it seems to me like reigning over money feels uh, almost like a, a lifetime process. You know, like we're always growing, always learning. There's always something new that it's not something that comes naturally just because your parents gave you an allowance, you know. And so we're going to dig further into that. We're going to learn about reigning over money. and uh, But I want to read our key verse. It's from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26-31. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wilderness on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he said that it was very good. Yeah. So look, if you're anything like me, uh, I grew up in a house where Money just wasn't talked about. It was almost sort of like a dirty subject. You know, it was kind of up there with sex, you know, sex and money. You didn't talk about either one of those things, really. And uh, very kind of taboo. You didn't talk about money. And, it, and it's, I don't know. it wasn't necessarily, I think, a, an intentionally neglected subject. It just didn't really come up a, a little, you know, much. We, we talked a little bit about, like, getting a good job. You've got to get good grades and go to school and get a good job. It's all about getting a good job, you know. My dad was uh, a union pipe fitter. And so to him, getting the good job and working hard, that was, that was the apex. I mean, you know, you, you worked hard. You got your journeyman card, uh, your master's card if you were at it long enough. But it was getting a good job. Um, and we also talked about saving money. Don't forget to save some. Gotta save some money. I remember my grandfather at one time handing me a quarter and telling me not to spend it all in one place. (laughs) So that was sort of like, do you remember those days? Yeah, Yeah, that was tough. Here's a quarter, don't spend it all in one place. Of course, you know, when you're a kid and you've got a quarter, the first place you go is the little corner convenience store and you buy like 25 cents worth a penny candies and you walk around with a big bulge in your pocket from your Tootsie Rolls, whatever stuffed in there, you know. And so, uh, you know, full disclosure, now that my grandfather is, is, is gone, I can finally admit I spent it all in one place. <laughs> so um, so and we talked about, you know, those things, saving money, but really not much else. And so I had so... Uh, so little mastery over money uh, in my young adulthood that at one point I had no savings. In fact, I don't even know if I had a savings account. I think I just had a checking. No savings. I I didn't own anything. I didn't own a house. Uh, I had no retirement, nothing like that. Um, However, I did have a few things. I did have multiple maxed-out credit cards. Um, Multiple. Um, I, I had a car payment. Um, I had a very expensive direct TV bill because, you know, TV's a priority. Uh, I, I was the guy that when we moved into a new house, the last thing to get packed was the TV and stereo and the first thing to get unpacked was the TV and stereo, you know? And so uh, I had that. Um, I had a gut. And it was because I, I ate out all the time. Ate out all the time what's the deal with the portions and the eating out (laughs) you know it's like and so I ate out all the time and uh, like a lot of people I did not reign over money I was not you know we're talking about created in God's image to reign I did not reign over money in fact money or I should say the perceived lack of money reigned over me it was always about you know I didn't have enough there's just never enough there was never enough to go around. We had to pay the bills. And then we, you know, of course we had to do stuff. We can't live like hermits, can we? You know, I remember Wendy and I, we used to go out to eat a couple of times a week. And uh, we would use, uh, <laughs> we would justify the expense by saying things like, oh, we need to invest in our marriage. <laughs> That's not an investment. Like, we couldn't invest in our marriage with a picnic lunch at the park, right? We had to go to a restaurant and spend 20 bucks on dinner. You know, we couldn't just pack a couple sandwiches and invest that way. Um, but I just, I, money was raining over me. And, uh, and so you might have had a similar experience. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. Maybe you had parents that were awesome enough to kind of sit you down and talk about money a little bit, or at least go, hey, why don't you read these books on money? Uh, I know for for my kids um, I I paid them to read books on finances I said hey you know what I'll tell you what I'm gonna pay you to read this book in fact uh, with one of my kids I said um, I'll tell you what read these two books I'll quiz you on them 50 questions and for every question you get right I'll give you two dollars so you have the potential to earn a hundred dollars by reading these books and so uh, You know, some people, they just, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't have that. You didn't have that sort of education. Um, Some people think, uh, for some people, money is such a taboo subject that actually it makes them uncomfortable to talk about it. I'm not comfortable talking about that. They kind of squirm a little bit. They kind of bristle a little bit. Some people think that it shouldn't be talked about in church. You should not be talking about money in church. Like that subject is evil, that when you talk about money, they, they have images of, you know, uh, Jimmy Swagger back in the 80s or Jim Baker, you know, embezzlement and scams and schemes and, and you know, that's what they associate money in church with. Even though Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. So Jesus must have been a greedy pig too, right? So uh, Jesus talked about more than, more than heaven and hell combined. It's funny, I, I always find it ironic that people who say, that aren't comfortable, they say, oh, they talk, all they talk about is money in church. That people who say that uh, uh, don't give. Well, well, there's somehow there's a correlation there. The people who are least comfortable hearing about money in church are also the ones who don't give. So I don't know what that is. It's funny that it works that way. I don't know. I'll let you guys do the math and the science and figure that out. The downside to that, the downside to that sort of like discomfort, the downside of of squirming and not kind of wanting to go there, not wanting to have those discussions, is that we never learn to rule over our finances. We continue to treat our finances like it's sort of this automatic thing, right? And remember, we've said many times before, when you allow a part of your life to simply drift or run on autopilot, does it grow and get better or does it get worse? It gets worse, yes or yes? Yes, it does. If you, any area of your life, if your relationships, if you're not intentional about your relationships and you just let them drift and go on autopilot, they get weaker, they get worse, Right With your health, if you just let that drift and run on autopilot and you don't set goals and you're not intentional about it, does it get better or worse? It gets worse. Your finances are no different, no different at all. And so uh, some estimate that the number one cause of divorce is disagreements over how money should be handled right? One, uh, one spouse, they say they have certain ideas about money, and this is how it should be handled, and this is the way that we should be running the business of our home, and the other one disagrees, and, the, and it causes great division, great divide. Our first two years of marriage, we probably argued about money once a week, wouldn't you say, honey? Yeah, I mean, we, I'm, uh, some of our biggest arguments were about money, okay? Um, you guys know who uh, Kevin O'Leary is? Anybody here watch Shark Tank? okay, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, right, Mr. Wonderful, he actually says that if you meet somebody and you start dating, that uh, by your second date, you should be talking about money, that on your second date, you should be talking about how do you feel about debt, how do you feel about credit card usage, how do you feel about savings and investment, Uh, because that way, since, since money is the number one cause of divorce, that way you can kind of go, oh, you know what, it's only our second date. There's a pretty big divide in this area of our lives. Let's just walk away now if it's not going to work. Talk about money early on. And there are few things that reveal the condition of your heart, like how you handle money. It's true. It's true. And so, in fact, Scripture even says that wisdom is proven true by the lives of those who live it. And so you find that people who handle their money well typically tend to be kind of wise people, right? They're not just wise about money, but they're wise about a lot of areas in their life. And I'm talking about I'm not I'm not talking about rich people per se or people with high incomes. I'm talking about people who handle their money wisely. All right? And so you'll find that not every person who has a high Uh, level of income is actually wealthy because if you're not good at handling money when you're only making minimum wage guess what you're probably not going to be good at handling money when you're making six figures so a higher income does not necessarily mean higher wealth or better at handling money it just means that you're just better at mishandling more money than the person who's only making minimum wage And so, what can we learn about Scripture? What are we going to talk about today? I'm so excited, actually. I'm I'm actually excited about this topic today, but let's pray real quick. God, I pray that you would let your word bear good fruit in us. Let it bring transformation. Let it bring change, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to have your mind about money and handling this and, and growing it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right so we're going to start off. We're going to read Luke chapter 9 verses 11 through 25, and this is a scripture that we've used many times before, but it's so pertinent in, in so many areas of our life. and a lot of people uh, a lot of people, when they read this passage, they think that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He is not. All right? It's so, like, "Oh Jesus is speaking metaphorically, He's not. It says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was uh, called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. It would be so, almost like if your boss said, hey, I'm going to take a couple months off but I'm going to give you 50K to go out and invest for me. I would start to sweat, but that's what he did. Uh, and then it says, go on, as uh, the people hated him and the sent him a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Must have bought some Bitcoin. (laughs) Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, and so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. There's so much packed into this passage. And I would encourage you to go back and read it and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it. But if you remember one thing this morning, remember this, and that's that wisdom and hard work produce extraordinary returns but lazy efforts produce meager results. You ever wonder why some people are always broke? Always broke, always broke. They never have money to do anything, they're just always broke. But when it comes to that Starbucks drive through poof, where'd that money come from? I don't know. When it comes to that new cell phone every two years, ah, oh, hey, look at that. When it comes to bumping up that cable package so they can get the local sports, Oh, yeah, okay? And it's like, you know, and and the word says to those who don't handle what I give them, don't handle it well, they're going to have less. And so a lot of times we love to blame everything but our own handling of our finances. And and, lazy efforts produce meager results. Wisdom and hard work produce extraordinary returns. And many live with the assumption that you either have money or you don't. That guy's got money. That guy doesn't. It's like this sort of: you have it or you don't have it. It's you're rich or you're poor. Uh, and we think things like, if God wanted me to have more, He'd give it to me. I've said that to myself. You know, we love to let ourselves off the hook with spiritual sayings, don't we? <laughs> we love to use little, little trite spiritual things. Well, if God wanted it. Yeah. Maybe God wanted you to work a little, right? Maybe God wanted you to roll up your sleeves. Maybe God wanted to empower you as you move forward. We think that. And the servant who took a passive approach to handling his money, he was called wicked. He took a passive approach. It's not like he 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 took the king's money and went like spending it. It's not like he took and gambled it. He just did nothing. He drifted, right? He took a passive approach to handling his money and he was called wicked and he was called lazy but the first two servants what they do they worked hard they found investment opportunities they exercised financial discipline Ah, how many of you think that your spouse exercises financial discipline i'm just kidding don't raise your hand (laughs) Uh, well he's sitting right next to me it's always the guy I don't know, right? They exercised financial discipline, and because of that, they were rewarded. They were rewarded for their discipline, for their work. So it's funny because I, I'm actually reading a book right now, and uh, it's called "The Millionaire Next Door." Anybody here ever ever read that? Yeah, excellent book. He's talking about how high income earners, but high income earners with low wealth, spend more time doing research on the next car they're going to buy. Than they do on research on how they should invest their money and save their money and handle it, and so it's just it's interesting how the brain works that way, but uh, how can we develop this mastery, okay, so that we ourselves can receive that reward and develop greater mastery of our finances so we can experience extraordinary returns. The first thing is this: cultivate an eye for extraordinary opportunities. Cultivate an eye for opportunities, right? Sometimes we just, we don't have that eye. We don't have that mindset. We don't have that, where our brain is sort of like, has that little radar, you know, going, oh, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity there. Um, and, and this doesn't come easy, right? We, it, it, sometimes we just need to train ourselves to recognize things when they come about, right? We just don't recognize them. Um, I was, I joked about Bitcoin earlier. But you know, uh, eight years ago, a friend of mine was like, hey, I, have you looked into this Bitcoin? I mean, it's, I, it's got some great you know, possibilities. It was like, and I was like, are you kidding me? It's $100 a Bitcoin. I'm not going to, a Bitcoin, a coin? I, I don't even understand it. And I tried to, like, reading websites and watching YouTube videos about it, and I was just like, "I just no, this makes my brain hurt. Besides $100 for virtual money, forget it you know Bitcoin hit $60,000 a coin last week? If I would have bought one coin for 100 bucks, or two coins or something, I'd be sitting on, you know, $120,000, okay? I just didn't, my brain wasn't there. I didn't have a radar for opportunity. Uh, uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine, this was, guy, this was back just before Apple announced the first iPhone, And uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, I think I have an investment opportunity for you. I know a guy who knows a guy who was gifted several acres of land. And he had it tested. And the soil samples came back saying that it was rich in palladium and platinum and all these things. And so he's looking for investors to help him develop or, 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 create or build a refinery so that he can refine all this precious metals. It's worth millions. And he's having people invest in it by buying a ton of dirt for $1,000. And I was so poor at the time that I barely had. I had like $500 in my savings account, and that was it. And I said, can I buy a half a ton? He said, sure you can. I said, OK. And then my other friend was like, hey, did you know Apple's talking about releasing this thing called the iPhone? And stock is only like $20 a share right now. And uh, you know, you should th- think about investing that. And I'm like, hmm, R- stocks are awfully risky. And they go up and down. I don't know, but my friend, my friend here says that this dirt's going to be worth a lot of I'm putting all my money on dirt, right? Five years later, my friend is cashing out from Apple and buying a house with cash. And I never saw my $500 again. Why? Because I just didn't have the radar sense. I just didn't have the fiscal knowledge, the the fiscal aptitude to know what I was seeing and to understand what a good deal is or not, right? To recognize an opportunity. And so we need to kind of develop that sense of recognizing opportunities. So when I was uh, going through coach training, okay? You all know I took a bunch of classes on coaching. I got a certification on life coaching. And when I was in the class that talks about setting up your coaching business, I realized that all the people in the class were frustrated with setting up their website and setting up some sort of online system for bringing on clients. I heard that. And because I had learned to train myself to to hear and see extraordinary opportunities, I went, I build websites. I bet you I could automate it, so all they have to do is go to my website, click a button, and subscribe. And now that little side project that I just kind of went, there's an opportunity, I spent a week or two building it, brings in an extra, about $1,000 a month for doing nothing, right? I spent about two or three weeks building it, and now it just comes automatically. And And I don't say that to go, hey, guys, come borrow some money from me. I say that to say because I learned to train my brain to listen for opportunities, to invest a little time, invest a little money, okay? And it's so important that we learn to do that, and I believe that learning to do that is actually a very godly thing. Very godly thing, because it serves them. They're super happy. They got, I got coaches now that are leaving little reviews for me, and they love it, right? And so, but back in the day, I didn't have that radar sense. I didn't pick up on the Bitcoin, I wish. Not even the Ether. Does anybody own any Ether? I'm just speaking another language, right? Ether's just so weird to understand. The whole blockchain thing is, We ask Eric, he knows all about it. Yeah, he and I were talking about it the other day, and it's like we're speaking two different languages to each other. It's weird. But buying stuff, I'll just tell you right now, is usually not an investment. Because you ever notice that some people say things like that? It's an investment. Look, we're going out, and you know, we weren't going to buy a new car, but we decided it's an investment. It's not. It's not. Buying a car is not an investment. It might be an asset but it's a depreciating asset, right? It's not an investment. Or people say things like, you know, I know that you know, I, probably, I don't need a new phone right now, but it's an investment. No, it's not. It's not an investment. Don't justify that purchase by calling it an investment. You can't just slap the investment sticker on things and go out and buy what you want, right? It's an investment. Or people say, you know, we weren't gonna take a trip, we didn't have any money, but we decided we were going to get out the credit cards and we were going to take a trip and take a vacation together as an investment in our marriage. It's not. You can make other investments in your marriage without spending money, right? In fact, if you took that money that you're going to spend on that trip and then went into marriage counseling together instead, you'd probably be a better investment, okay? And so you can't just call something an investment because it's not. If it doesn't directly make you money, it's not an investment. Even your house is not an investment because oh you know we weren 't going to go into debt that much but we know it 's an investment it 's not your house is not an investment, right unless you planned on flipping it it 's not an investment it 's an asset at best, and often it 's a liability, and it causes you to lose money. So does everybody understand now what an investment is? Investment brings you money <laughs> okay if it doesn 't bring you money it 's not an investment and There was a season in my life. I remember when I was out of work, you know, talking about, you know, kind of having that radar, and I needed flexibility super bad, like I, I, we were uh, in the process of starting a church, not this church, but a previous one, and I needed a lot of flexibility, but I also needed money, and I remember at that time, a lot of older people were finally buying PCs, this was a long time ago, and then what they were buying, those big clunky Dells, Remember those big beige boxes that your grandparents had in their, in their office? And they were buying these big clunky PCs, or they were like, CD-ROM? Oh, I guess I should have one of those in my computer, you know, remember those days? And uh, they didn't know how to set them up, they didn't know how to troubleshoot them, they didn't know how to do anything. And I, I wasn't a computer genius, but I, I did sniff an opportunity, <laughs> right? I did see one. And uh, I knew how to read an instruction manual, which... You know, y'all just read the manual, <laughs> okay? And so I spent thirty bucks on a box of business cards with my cell phone number on them, and I I made up a business name. And so the, the business name was Front Porch Computer Services, you know, because it was it was in home. It was all about in home. I didn't own I didn't have a shop, nothing. And so uh, so I called it Front Porch Computer Services, and I went to all the grocery stores in the area, and I tacked my card up on the community bulletin board. And I went everywhere that I could tack one up. I tacked one up. And then uh, people would call me, right? And I even went down to the local computer repair shop, and I left a card with them. And I said, look, I'll cut you a deal. If you're shorthanded, you can send me on places. And so during that season in my life, that's how I cared for uh, my family. I I was able to use that opportunity to make money and care for my family and not sacrifice the flexibility that I needed at the time. It was an opportunity. It was a season that came along. And uh, so... Uh, If I hadn't been able to see the opportunity, I would have ended up probably working some low-paying job with no flexibility and locked in there all week long and not be able to work on the church plan. And so open your mind to opportunities, right? To learn to develop an eye for opportunities. See opportunities. That's what these first two servants did, and that's how they were able to make a 10x return in a 5x return. All right, so the next thing with this is pursue 10x growth. And what does that mean, to pursue 10x growth? All right? When it comes to growing your finances, don't think small. Don't think, you know, don't think like uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to put $5 away every week. You know, and that's fine. If all you can afford to do is $5 uh, a week, that's fine. But think big. Don't have a lifestyle where you can barely set ser- savings aside. Now, I think where where a lot of people are right there is, you know, they 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 spend exactly what they earn. They earn Uh, You know, this is their budget to live on, and they, they earn that much, but they don't bring their lifestyle down. Live as far below your means as you can. And just, here's the thing. Future you is standing there in the future going, please, please don't buy that latte. Please send me some money, right? I remember trying to explain savings to one of my sons, and he didn't understand why I was so adamant about savings. And I said, look, future you wants you to send him money. Think about future you. You are killing future you by not setting some money aside. And so future you will thank you by, by sending future you money through savings and investment. So look, if you you might be able to afford to live at a certain level, but look, don't. Just don't. Live down here. Live down here. In fact, Uh, One of the things I loved about the millionaire next door, they're talking about they did, they interviewed millions and millions of, of millionaires, people who actually have millions in assets, not just people who make a million a year, okay, but have millions in assets. And most of them lived in middle class homes, in middle class neighborhoods. They didn't live in opulent mansions, they lived way below their means. And so if you make, you know, $50,000 a year, live like somebody who works, who lives on $30,000 a year, you know? And so live below your means. So think big about how much you uh, want to grow financially. And why do I say think big? Because like, uh, because thinking small really lacks emotional power. And I always say, you know what, reach for the stars because I'd rather reach for the stars than catch a cloud you know, then like reach for a cloud and catch nothing at all. And so think big about it, okay? Reach for the stars. Aim for the stars. You might catch a cloud, okay? Think about retiring a millionaire. What would that feel like? I know some of y'all, y'all are like so young. You're like, retire? It's a hundred years away. Not for me, (laughs) right? Because we think that this is some far off sweet by and by pie in the sky retirement and you know what? that was my thought too until one day i woke up and i was in my mid-40s and i had nothing and i was like oh i couldn't retire here's your cart sir welcome to walmart uh, that was my future right you know because it's like i just figured i'd have to work forever and so like think about it. what would it feel like to 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 retire a millionaire what would it feel like You know, paying cash for your kids' education. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to go, hey, sorry kids, I wasn't able to do that for you. But (laughs) if you would have got better grades. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you would have worked harder. Um, I'm kidding. You know, think about that. Think about paying cash for your next car. You know, to just be able to say, you know, I'm I'm paying cash for this. I'm not going to have a car payment. Think about paying off your house, those of you who have mortgages, you know. All this stimulus money coming your way, I hope you all are just paying down principal. Bam, bam, right? And so think about just actually, actually, actually owing nothing on your house. So aim high, aim high, pursue 10x growth because it carries an emotional driving factor with it. The next thing is, is, is you know, cultivate an abundance mindset. What does that mean? You know, Jeff says in his book, An abundance mindset holds that by his very nature, God has all the resources in the universe available to him and that he delights to make them available to us. Therefore, we have no lack, only more than what we need. Wow, isn't that awesome? Think about that. Cultivate an abundance mindset. It's funny because most people have an abundance mindset when it comes to spending. Anybody here ever, like, buy something or push something, go, we'll get a more expensive house, we'll get a more expensive car, maybe than we can afford, but we go, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. I don't, am I the only one that's ever said that, done that, thought that? The rest of you liars? It'll be all right. That's all right. You know, somehow we'll be, able, we'll be able to pay for it. It'll be fine, right? We have this abundance mindset when it comes to buying things, but then when it comes to giving, we have a scarcity mindset. Right, So we have opportunities to be generous like, oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. Right? But we're eating out every day, you know. And so we have an abundance mindset when it comes to spending and a scarcity mindset when it comes to giving. And we need to flip that. We need to flip that, right? We talk about living below your means. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says and God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything and, ne- and everything you need and plenty left over to share with others right We have to change our thinking to expect an ab- that like abundance is normal that abundance is normal right even when there 's overwhelming evidence to the contrary <laughs> right isn 't that kind of a weird sort of like you know that's like, that 's like an area that you literally have to sort of work on your brain and think about that and kind of go, because uh, God has everything. He has everything. There's, he doesn't lack anything at all. And he loves to, to bless his children, right? And so uh, do we expect abundance or do we expect scarcity? Because in life, we tend to find what we look for. And it goes for anything. You know, in our relationships, if we're looking for a fight, guess what you'll get? Huh? nothing? huh? You get a fight, right? In your health, if you're always expecting to get sick, probably what's going to happen is... Good, huh? <laughs> so, people online? <laughs> so, you know, we tend to get what we expect, so just cultivate an abundance mindset. You know, I know that sounds sort of like weird, right? It sounds kind of like, oh, that sounds kind of like uh new agey wacky, but listen, if I don't go into work. Because you all know I'm, a, I'm bivocational, right? I have my own business and I pastor the church. And so if I go into my business and I'm always just like, oh, this thing's never going to grow. I'm not going to make any money from this thing. Uh, you know, that's probably what's going to happen. But when I expect that it's going to grow and I expect that, uh, that the, my clients are happy with the service that they get and all that, that's what I get. And so what we expect, we tend to find what we're looking for, okay? So cultivate an abundance mindset. And the next thing is, and and this is the last thing, train for the times when you do spot an extraordinary opportunity. Train your brain, train yourself in the area of finances. And it's it's a sad commentary when most people um, have never read a personal finance book. Isn't that sad, those poor, lonely books? Just sitting on the shelf over in the poor, lonely bookstore. Uh, I don't remember the last time I was in a bookstore. Uh, those poor guys have just been put out of business by Amazon. But uh, just, you know, read books on personal finance. They will change your life, right? Read The Millionaire Next Door. You know, we we're talking about that and how millionaires, you know, spend their money, use their money, and invest their money. Um, read I'll Teach You to Be Rich. Great book on money mindset by, uh... no, no, no. I'll Teach You to Be Rich is uh, uh, very practical, especially if you're 30 or younger. Uh, I'll Teach You to Be Rich is incredible. It's a very practical book. I, I, I was one of those I made Forrest read it uh, when he was a kid. Uh, Hudson, have you read it? Why not? I'll pay you. I'll, I'll make you a quiz. I'll pay you two bucks for every answer you get correct from that book. Okay? that's You can make 50 bucks by reading that book. All right? And so uh, read it. I'll Teach You to Be Rich. It's a very practical book by uh, an Indian dude named Ramit Sethi, and he just talks about this is how you set up an automated savings account. This is how you set up an automated investment account. This is, hey, here's the best way to buy a used car and save a lot of money. And it just goes through very practical on handling your money. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, great book. Y'all should be writing these down. Y'all should be writing these down and buying them and reading them. All right. So. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's a great book on, on mindset and how we think about money. Uh, it was in Rich Dad, Poor Dad when he talked about uh, growing in financial literacy. And, and in that book, he talks about how we tend to see money as a means to consume, right? That money, this is, this is what money's job is, is to get us stuff, and when you learn to switch that around and say money's job isn't to get you stuff, money's job is for you to send out to go bring back more money, right? All right, money, go out there and have babies, right? And so developing that mindset around money, it's huge. Increase your financial literacy because what you don't know can definitely devastatingly hurt you, right? Right? It's what you don't know about money that can seriously damage you and damage your future and your retirement and your just security, right? And so your ability to handle money can either put you in suffocating misery or let you experience some breathing room, right? Some, some freedom, some generosity, some happiness. I don't know if you all have ever seen the movie, the, I think it's called The Pursuit of Happiness, You know, Will Smith, and he's going around, he's trying to sell these, like, X-ray devices for, like, $250 or something like that to to hospitals. And uh, he sold one. I remember one of the lines in the movie as he sold one, he goes, another day of air. To him, it was just understanding how suffocating it can be without money. And when you, all right, he sold one of these X-ray machines. That's like some oxygen. That's like some air. And so uh, check that out. So how you handle money can make all the difference. We handle money every day. Almost every day of our adult lives, we handle money, right? I can't, I mean, I don't remember the last day where I didn't handle money in some way or another, where I didn't either make a purchase or place them in savings. Or a little, or even just sort of checking on an investment or whatever, right? It's the one of the most important aspects of our everyday lives. We can't deny that. We can try to be holy, right, and deny that. But every day, it's one of the most important aspects of life. Train yourself to use it, right? Train yourself to put it to work for you. Reign over your money instead of it reigning over you, right? Reign over it as a good steward of God's resources. Why? Because according to scripture, what happened? What happened to these guys who invested well? Ah, yeah, they were rewarded for it. Exactly. They were rewarded. And I want to be given more to take, to take care of. Give me more money to take care of. I'll send them out. Go get me. They're like my little soldiers, right? Go out there and capture me some more money and bring them back, Right? And so as we close today, I just want you to kind of like just use your imagination for a minute, right? Just imagine your money having babies. Imagine that, right? A little bowl of hot water and a towel. Doctors there. You got your midwife there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Imagine your money having babies. Why? Because you invested wisely. Because you had an eye for it, you know? Imagine, like, instead of stressing about money, how many here can remember the last time they stressed about money? Because it was, like, just a few days ago. Yeah, (laughs) right? You know, we're all stressing. Imagine, instead of stressing about it, being confident because you're prepared when a financial emergency comes, right? Imagine that the next time your furnace goes out, or your car breaks down, or your car completely dies and has to be taken out to Bridgeway, right? Right? Or imagine your hot water heater rusting out and needing to be replaced, and you're like, ah, oh, no, Beggy, we got money. We have, a, we have an account, we have a special account just for that, just for those little emergencies, and it's right there. It's no sweat. I don't have to take out the credit card to pay for that. Or when the car dies, and all those things, right? All those repairs, all those big things where we freak out a little bit, you know? Pray for me, guys. My, my car, my, my alternator just went out. It's going to be $500 to fix. And you can just go, big deal. That's okay. We're prepared. Imagine that. That's a sense of confidence, a sense of security. Uh, because you're prepared. Okay. Imagine paying cash for that car. Imagine writing a big fat check to go, oh, it's $600 to send a kid to camp. Right? Or I guess, got it, texting my gift in to Mercy Vineyard. And we're going to send a kid to camp. And you don't even have to really think about it. You just do it. Because you got it, right? Doesn't, doesn't that feel like a good feeling? Or am I the only one who thinks that's like a good feeling, right? That's a good feeling. That's a sense of freedom. And remember, what does God want you to live in? Freedom, right? God wants you to live in freedom, and part of that is financial freedom, all right? Imagine being able to help a family uh, member or being able to like, Lori's going to, Lori's going to Haiti? Can I go with? I got the money, Right? You don't even have to raise it. And so you just have it. And what does that feel like? What does that feel like, knowing that? What does that feel like to imagine those things? Wisdom and hard work produce extraordinary results. Wisdom and hard work. So, you guys, you know, uh, in in coaching, they say that uh, most of the work happens between coaching calls. Y'all know what that means? So in coaching, we have the coaching call, and then between coaching calls, there's a little something for the coaching client to go do. And it's what happens between the calls that makes all the difference in the life of the person being coached. And so my hope for you guys during this season is that it's the stuff that happens between Sundays that makes all the difference in your life. Okay. This little thing here, this little message about money is the small part. The big part is you jumping on Amazon this afternoon and ordering I'll Teach You To Be Rich and then reading it this week. And then start implementing it in your life. Because me speaking about it is not going to bring any increase in your finances. All it's gonna do is make you feel inspired. Hopefully, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But inspiration doesn't bring change to your life. It's what we do between the times of inspiration. So I really hope that you guys do. One of the things that you can do, we've got a person at our church who is like a money master. It's like she has like a PhD in money baby making. And uh, she is amazing. And she has offered her services to you. To go, hey, sure, I'll sit down. I'll do a little financial counseling with you and I'll hold you accountable, you know, to do what we talk about. And it's Linda, she's back there, Linda, wave your hand like this. Yes. Yeah. She she has volunteered herself to go, hey, if anybody wants to sit down and talk to somebody, do it. So I'd encourage you, if you want a little bit of accountability and help that way, she has made herself available and she's not gonna charge you for it. She's just gonna do it for free. And so uh, go see her, even if your money is good, but you want it to be better. You can go see her. You don't have to be, you don't have to have three maxed out credit cards to go see Linda. You could be doing well, but just want to be doing better to go see her, okay? And so let's go ahead and have our worship team come, and I'm going to pray. And uh, they're going to sing a quick song, because I went late again today. So they're just going to do the chorus. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And uh, so let's go ahead and stand up and pray. God, I love you so much and, and we praise you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to get, get this right, Lord. To get this, uh, God, to, to use wisdom and hard work, Lord, so that we can glorify you in the way that we handle money, so that we can watch it grow. Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes for extraordinary opportunities. Or that when we come along, um, we do something. We act on them, God. God, that we would pursue great growth financially, not just getting by, but great growth, 10x growth, God. God, that we would cultivate a godly mindset, a 10x mindset, a growth mindset when it comes to money. Lord, that we would train for the times when extraordinary opportunities come along. God, that we would uh, read the personal finance books, that we would grow in this area, that we would implement those things, Lord, that cause wealth to grow for your glory and for your honor, Lord. Not so that we can drive around in flashy cars, but, God, so that we can be generous, so we can care for our families with abundance. And, God, it's for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, Amen.